I love this part. So I'm just watching. That's, I'm usually back there at the door, so. Uh. <clears throat> Always feels good when they run to you until you realize they're not running to you. They're just running out. <laughs> so. We start week two of our 40 days of prayer as we walk this journey together for a little bit and, and uh, often think about what it would be like for the entire denomination to do this. I don't know how many churches are doing that, but it's gotta be cool. But uh, I would say it's not easy getting all that together, collectively focusing on the journey. Um, I'm sure most of you will come out of here and can't even decide where you wanna go to eat. I see you're like, yeah. Those always works for us, but this morning, however, we come and we do this together. There's a there's a point at doing life together, and, and I was uh, over over Christmas between Christmas and New Year's, we got to go up and see our grandkid uh, Easton, and uh, had a blast. We we got there late at night, woke up the next morning. He got he got we got to see him, you know, kind of surprise him and. And just had a blast. And, and we, just that time is so precious. You know, um, I love my kids, mostly. But a grandkid's different, right? It, it just, we don't love our kids any less. We love them more because they gave us a grandkid and we don't have to mess with them anymore. No, I'm just kidding. But... We FaceTime Easton all the time. He's, he's always, you know, he gives us kisses over the phone and blows us kisses. But when he's ready, he's like, okay, bye-bye. And he's off to something else. But it's different when you're together, right? It's, 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 I would not, I would not give up FaceTiming Easton, but I also wouldn't say, well, we FaceTime, we don't need to go visit. I don't know any grandparent or parent that would not want to do that with their kids or grandkids. So together we've come together to do this 40 days of prayer, to do this, to worship together, to spend time together, to ask the Spirit to collectively move in our hearts. And this morning, I'm not going to tell you anything surprising. I'm not going to say or share anything that you're like, oh man, I've never heard that before. Maybe a word or two that you're not familiar with, but... That's just me. But what I want this morning is we come to remember. My hope is that the Spirit will show you and remind you of what's already there. Of what's already present in your life because of who Christ is. Because of the life, the death, and the resurrection. To remind us that that we have life in Christ. John 10, 10, we have life and, and have it marginally. Abundantly. Abundantly. I mean, Paul talks about this. Beyond what we can think, ask, or imagine, I've got a good imagination. And it's bigger than that. We have life in Christ. Remind us that the price that he paid is security for us. Not just our future in eternity, but of a our life and our future now. It starts now. We don't have to wait for it. So before we go into the, the word, let's just go into the word of prayer.
Father God, may your word be opened up to us. May our eyes see and our ears hear and our hearts understand what your spirit says to us. Holy Spirit, quicken these words. May they be yours. I pray in your name. Amen. I grew up in the country of Texas. I mean, the state of Texas. That's a whole nother sermon, but anyway. But one of the things I loved about growing up there were storms. You got like, anyone else like storms? Anyone? Okay, few, few of us. Nothing like, you know, storms. You know, like, you, you go outside and you're playing because, you know, we didn't stay inside back in the day because mom and dad were inside and we didn't want to be in there, you know. My mom took my temperature because I was inside too long. You sick? We were outside and we could see it. We'd see that storm cloud. And like, on a Monday, you're like, oh, there's Wednesday's storm. I mean, you would just see them building and, and these clouds that would be 80, 90, 100,000 feet to the top of them. And you're just watching these storms roll in. I love storms. I loved it when the, when the cloud would move over us and, and if you've seen it, it's for, for you northern folks, it's like that toboggan. Toboggan? I don't know how you say it. Sled. There we go. You know, but it, it rolls over like this and it's, and it's flat. It's like it's sitting on a piece of glass. And that cloud hits you and that wave of, of cool air hits you. Just like, you know, just like a wall. That is the coolest thing. I am always amazed by that. I love storms. I love, I mean, even here, you know, it's, it's like we were, t I was talking to someone after first service, like, you know, most of, in most places, now here's probably a little bit different, but most places where I've been living in the north, Pennsylvania and Ohio, someone's got to do missions there. They would have hail. Like this, you know, it's like, oh, marble hail. Okay, in Texas, when you had hail, you could play golf or softball with it. You had hail. So when you go down there, every car, every, every car dealership has like, their cars are under stuff, you know, anyway. But I love storms. And, and one of the, the things that just the majesty of them, the majesty of, of how they're formed and how they move and, and the awesome power that they hold within them. Just reminds me of, of a mighty God. That thunder claps. Feels like someone's just kind of tapping you on the back. Lightning goes. Now I get out of the way for lightning. I'm out. You know, I'm done. But your know, hair on your arm stands up. It's amazing. But one such storm I uh, that, that not everyone loves are hurricanes. Like, eh, maybe not so much, right? I live, grew up in Houston area, which is the Gulf Coast, and we would get hurricanes. So if you've been, lived in Florida, you know, you, you are familiar with like, yeah, been there, done that. You know, everyone runs out, buys all the water, all the bread, and all the boards. You know, and the hurricane goes someplace else. It's if you don't buy anything, it hits you. If you buy stuff, it doesn't hit you. You know, but I, I just love hurricanes. I love to watch how they're formed and, 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 and how they, how just this wind can move water and, and, and all the things that happened. And, and I don't own a boat, never have, never have owned a boat, but I, I started to learn how to sail um, when I was in high school. And the guy that I was learning from had a boat. 
which is good if you want to learn how to sail, right? You know, and I always had, I was always on motorboats, so sailing was like, now you got to remember me on a sailboat, can this thing go any faster? It's like, seriously? But we had a hurricane coming, and so he said, hey, I need you to come down. The hurricane was probably a few days out. The water was getting, you know, starting to get a, a little bit more waves and things like that, and, and all, the, all the jet skiers were like, one more day and we're out here. You know, but, but he began to, he took it out of the dock. I said, why are you taking it out of the dock? He goes, well, because this is how you prepare for the storm. And he took it out of the dock and, and he pulled it over and, and it's, it's probably oh, about two, 300 yards from any land at all and about 45 to 50 feet of water. But he ties it up to these anchor poles, one off the bow and two off the stern in a tri kind of a triangular, I said, like, why don't you just leave it at the dock? And he had those three points of anchor and he did this well before the storm arrived. He says, you know what? I want to have my boat when the storm's done and this is how you do it. Because if it's not anchored, it just is going to be blown everywhere. We know that from scripture even, that when we don't have an anchor, we don't have security, we are tossed to and fro. And if you've never seen a hurricane come ashore, the winds that push that storm surge, oh man, it is awesome. Scary, but awesome. And once the storm has arrived, it's too late to go out and anchor. But also one that is too tightly tied and moored to the, to the dock gets torn up. It gets beat up and it gets banged up and it gets holes and it, and, and, and it destroys the dock that it's tied to. Only when we are anchored well and in the right places will the boat or the ship endure. And so today I, I want to remind you, I want to just share a reminder with you as we even come to participate in the reminder of our anchor. What are the anchors and I thought, man, three anchors, three points. That'd make a good sermon one day. Today's the day. So as we, as we prepare for communion, maybe you are thinking about anchoring but haven't done it yet. Maybe you are uh, well, you know, I probably should. Maybe I'll, I'll get ready and, and well, maybe I'll find a place. You know, I don't know. I, this, storm, this storm's far enough out. I don't have to worry about that just yet. Or, hey, it's not storming. And that's the thing with hurricanes. You, I mean, you're thinking, man, it's sunny, two to three foot waves. This is the Gulf of Mexico, so you gotta go with me on that one. There's not a storm coming until it's here. So as Christians, I hope we learn as Christ followers that together we can learn to anchor and help anchor each other. But those three points, simple. His life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we're gonna take a moment to, to go one by one and then allow you to take time to just analyze, to hear from the Spirit. Lord, am I anchored well? Am I, am I doing okay here? Lord, what do you want to say to me in this moment? To begin, let's go to Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews because 
You know, I think about, as I was reading this, I think about the book of Hebrews, and it's like the New Testament reminder that the Old Testament exists. You know, and, and God is still the God of the Old Testament in the New Testament. You know, and what a great reminder that we have. I'm gonna read in, in Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse 10, and let's stand together. Verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. They are together. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here, I, here am I and the children of God the, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he made, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and, and merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You may be seated. The first anchor is simply this. His life. Jesus lived with us so he could relate to us. You ever been talking with someone and and you go, dude, you, you just, you don't understand. You, you haven't lived it. And they can, they can be sincere and they can be heartfelt, but they just don't know how you feel. They haven't been in your shoes. We can't say that about our Savior. He knows how you feel. His earthly life connected him with us. As we suffer, as we have our highs and our lows, our good days and our bad days, our, our brokenness. He is connected with us in that. He's not out there going, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. He's not just the God who has the answers. He's the God who's lived them as well. Jesus' earthly life connects him with us relationally. Think about that. He calls us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. So it's not just a, a parental type relationship. It's, it's a we are together relationship. We are brothers and sisters. And sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we should act better than that that way. But it happens. But one of the coolest things this, that Jesus lived, he lived because it, that life, as it played out, broke the bond the enemy had on you. 
It broke the chain. It broke that, that, that sin that so easily ensnares us. It broke the snare. So when we're facing those uncertainty, uh, those times of uncertainty or trouble and, and all those things that are happening and the, and the storm's coming and, and you're like, well, you know, is it, I'm not sure if I should go get the, all the stuff from the store because I don't think it's gonna hit me. One of the scariest things for most people, I just always got a thrill. I don't, I'm weird, just go with me. Is that, and I, I take this with a little humility, is that when those tornado sirens would go off, you just knew there was one, but you, you, you hope that no one would get hurt. But when you heard that go off, you didn't have a lot of time to prepare. If you weren't already prepared, there wasn't enough time to go and get a bunch of stuff and do a bunch of stuff and go here and go there. And it's like, hey, grab your kids, grab your dog, get to the shelter. Especially in, in central West Texas, North Texas. But understand this. Jesus lived so that he knows exactly how you feel and exactly how you hurt, and exactly how, how much this, that th thing means to you or meant to you. He knows that. And we can anchor in that. But what happens is we, 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 we pull back because I, when, I, when I talk to my friend, I was like, why don't you just tie it up with the dock? Well, that's not the one. We'll just put more ties on it. We'll just tie it down tighter. And we do that in our life. We, we try to put more control The question this morning I want you to think about as you think about this anchor, am I anchoring in Christ in a way? Am I leaning into who Christ is? Am I leaning into his life? What does that look like? Well, I think leaning in looks like, like okay, I'm spending more time talking and praying and thinking and meditating. Thy word have I hidden your heart that I might not sin, that I can meditate on that. I, I'm, I'm remembering those scriptures. I'm, I'm seeking community when things get hard. That's leaning in. That's anchoring in to the life of Christ. What does it mean when you're not? When you're trying to, to put on, oh, I'll just put down more tie downs. I'll, I'll make them stronger. I'll, I'll chain it up. We become hard-hearted and bitter and angry and frustrated. And, and we begin to pull back from community. And I don't know, but we're not meant to do this alone. So as you take the next couple of moments, check that anchor. Have you, are you leaning into the life of Christ in the fellowship of believers? Or are you pulling away? Are you spending more time seeking the presence of God? We have a Savior who has lived our mess. Who's felt what we felt, hurt what, how we've hurt. Are you anchored into that perfect humanity in every way was tempted like us? The Christ that we read about in the Gospels that walked with his disciples 
with his followers. He's still walking with us. He still walks with us. Check your anchor this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says this. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, that are now already here, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of the creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from the acts of la- uh, that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. Not only are we anchored in the life of Christ, but we are anchored in his sacrifice and in the sacrificial death to that, that, that sacrifice secured our future. It secures us. I look at these, these words, and but when Christ came, the things he went through, all the stuff. One of the most interesting little details of scripture. Again, I, I, got, a, I got a weird imagination. The high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies, right? Where the Ark of the Covenant was and would offer the sacrifice and they would sprinkle the blood. But before that, he would have to go through all of these, all of these ceremonies to be clean, to be to be worthy enough to be there. He's going to walk into the very visceral presence of God. And just in case something wasn't done right, they tied a rope to his ankle. If you walked into the visceral presence of Christ and you were unclean, what's left to pull out? And yet God looks at me 
And he says, what I did is enough for you. You don't need the rope. His death, he offered his own blood. It wasn't something else. There's nothing we can do but anchor in his sacrifice. His death redeemed us. One of the, one of the most awesome phrases in the New Testament for me is the term new covenant. The new covenant in his blood. The new covenant through his atonement. The new covenant. I don't have to go and, and find an animal to kill it. I don't have to go through all the processes. I just have to anchor myself in the sacrifice of Christ. I have to hook it to the cross. Because what he finished was finished forever. Do we live that way though? Do we live as though God looked at the innermost parts of my heart and I know what's there, what's here and what's here. And he says, you know what? What I did was enough. And I look at him and go, you sure? We do that as Christians though, don't we? And maybe we don't really think that, really, but we live that way. We try to make up for What area of your life do you feel that uncertainty or do you feel that is out of control? You see, when I, when I just say, God, okay, I trust you. I don't have to control everything. The Spirit does. When we anchor into the sacrifice of Christ, we say, Spirit, you're in charge. That anchor is the Holy Spirit. What do you feel is out of control in your life? Think about the past year. Let's check that anchor this morning. There, there are many boat owners that simply say, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna put more ties on this thing. I'm just gonna tie it down tighter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna ratchet it down even stronger. We know that never works. It tears the boat up. And some of you feel beat up this morning. Some of you feel beat up just because of living life. Some of you are going, you know what? Man, this is an awesome storm, but yeah, I got a few bumps and bruises. How is your anchor in the death of Christ, in his sacrifice for you? You say, do we live like it's once and done forever or do we live like I'm hoping, I hope I can gain it? Man, when I understood, I can't gain it. Look at verse 11. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, Paul reminds us we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning. Are you anchored in the sacrifice of Christ and his atonement for you in his mercy and forgiveness and grace? Check your anchor.
Hebrews chapter 10 reminds us in verse 12 that when he had offered for all time the sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's calling us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, do we have confidence? Do you live a life of confidence or do you live a life with a rope tied around your ankle hoping nothing bad happens? Confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us. Jesus' resurrection was to prove he can lead us. He knows where he's, he's been there. He's done that. He's opened up a new way. I can remember growing up and, and knowing scripture and knowing things, but then all of a sudden, and maybe you've been there, that light goes on when you fully understand it. And you're just like, where has that been all my life? It's been there. It's always been there. And maybe you need to see things in a new way. Jesus' sacrifice was singular because it's all that was needed. He didn't need a goat and a ram and a turtle dove and, and some olive oil. All the, he just needed him. Jesus is enough for anything you got. You remember that, that bumper sticker, you know, if God, if, you know, the, the, the co-pilot and pilot and switch seats kind of bumper sticker? I can't even remember what it is now. You know, my mom looked at me, it's like, if you're the co-pilot, I ain't flying on the plane. You know, he's enough. We don't need to help him. We need to follow him. He satisfied the requirements. Look at verse 14. This is so awesome. By one sacrifice, he is made perfect. Now we look around and we're going, no, he hadn't. He looks as, do we look at each other as perfect? Do we look, do we work to look at each other the way he looks at us? Perfect, those who are being made holy. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. Romans remind us that he sits there interceding for us. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to pray, when you don't know what's going on, why can he do that? Because he's been where you are. He is fully human and his humanity understands you. His death broke the bond the enemy had on you and he created a new one. And not only that, he created a new way. He says, follow me. Follow me. Jesus remains faithful to us when we trust him to follow. When we say, okay, God, I, I don't know what this means. I don't know where we're going, but I'm gonna follow. 
Jesus, you know, we, we sing these songs and we have these, Jesus is our guide, right? He's our guide. He's, our, you know, he's not some guy you pay to go shoot a trophy. He's our leader. He's our Lord. He is our coming king. What is keeping you from fully trusting Jesus to latching yourself into that anchor? I fully trust because once he had all three of those points anchored and the, you know, the, the boat was there, I, said, I, I asked him, I said, have you ever, have you ever stayed on, on the boat during a storm? He said, no. Why? That'd be awesome. Now, this is before, you know, like GoPros and stuff because I would have put them all over that boat. But he says, the storm's coming. The boat will ride out the storm because I've anchored it and I trust the anchors. I trust that no matter what the storm comes, I've done all I need to do. I've anchored it well. I've anchored it properly and I trust that it will ride out the storm. Name your fear. Name your frustration. Name your hurt, your scar, your wound. What is it you dream of? What are your hopes? Our hope is in Christ. Check the anchor of trust. Will you trust this anchor? Will you trust Christ? Or will you be too afraid to move out into deeper water? You know, let's just, let's just, let's just keep it close to shore where, where I feel safer, where I feel more comfortable. Too often we use fear as those extra tie downs. We allow the enemy to tie us up and tie us to the dock. When Jesus says, hey, come on, let's go right out the storm. When Peter got out of the boat, the storm didn't stop. He still walked on it, even for a little bit. Jesus endured so much suffering on our behalf. And maybe you need to hear this this morning. Listen. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Will you trust him? Are you anchored well? Well, 